Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show for January 27th. Joining us in our virtual studio today is Gabby and Doug. And Tiffany and Jonathan will not be with us, but they will be with us in spirit. So welcome all. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to talk about the ugly side of beauty products. A $450 billion industry worldwide. What types of personal care products are we using in our everyday beauty regimes? And what are in those products? There's over 84,000 chemicals that are in modern-day beauty products, and only 1% are tested. So are we getting seduced by all these flashy packaging, promises of everlasting youth, aromas, scents, fragrance? And how can we navigate this industry? We're constantly bombarded by all these claims of natural, organic, but we're not being told the truth about chemicals in our everyday care products such as endocrine disruptors, neurotoxins, carcinogens, plasticizers, and even lead. So today we're going to delve into the ugly side. And I wanted to thank my co-hosts for joining me. We hope we have a lively (laughs) discussion. Indeed. We are happy to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you all. So I I did some research on this and it's really a fascinating you know look into kind of our daily regimes of what we use as far as personal care products and that can be anything really but most importantly shampoos conditioners face wash deodorant for women toothpaste. makeup toothpaste you know lip balm sunscreen and um, just a little idea here, the average male will use nine personal care products every day and mm-hmm. uh, be exposed to about 85 different chemicals. And women who are particularly at risk will use uh, up to, you know, 15 or more products daily, uh, being exposed to about 168 chemicals. What's really concerning is pregnant women... Um, are exposed to a lot of chemicals as well. And um, they've been finding that in umbilical cord blood of newborns, there's over 300 contaminants that have been detected. So what are we doing? And are we informed, really? What do you folks think? Do you think we're informed? I know in the U.S. (laughs) it's a little bit different, so I'm glad we have some international perspective on this ugly side of beauty products. Yeah. Although it's kind of funny, like when um, I was reading about that, um, you know, when I was kind of like, you know, beauty products, I was thinking, well, you know, I'm a guy, I don't really use beauty products or anything like that. But when I was looked at the amount of things that they're actually including under that umbrella of beauty products and all the crap that's in there, like, you know, I do use toothpaste. Um, you know, I do use soap. Um, I use laundry detergent, like all these different kinds of things. And, you know, at first I, I was just kind of like when, like somebody in our chat actually said, you know, the average man uses, <clears throat> excuse me, nine um, kind of of these products on a daily basis. I, was, I had the same reaction they did. They're like, nine, come on. <laughs> That's hilarious. But uh, if I really counted it up, I would probably be close to that. 
How about so you, I think Gabby? Um... Oh, maybe lost her. Sorry, I agree. Dear. When you start looking at it, you know, just as an observation perspective, and you start reading ingredients. The first thing I notice about when you try, like you said, with toothpaste to read your ingredients is that you can barely see the ingredient mm-hmm. list. They make it almost yeah. microscopic. And yeah. another thing I've noticed is that a lot of companies don't even put the ingredients on their products. That's they true. kind of force you to go For to their example, website. Oh. And not even that, actually, because I was trying to find the ingredient list for a lipstick. I went to the website, and there was nothing there. So I Google it, you know, the brand of the lipstick, ingredients, and uh, it is mostly like uh, people trying to find out, posting pictures of a label, but it's uh, not, not forthcoming, definitely. No. No, it's true. And half the stuff they don't even, like, they aren't even legally required to put on there i shouldn't say half but a lot of the ingredients can kind of come other un, other umbrella terms mm-hmm. like uh i think the worst offender is probably fragrance yes um that you know under the term fragrance can be like any number of chemicals um some of them like endocrine disruptors or um you know things that just are incredibly toxic but um because they they have this kind of proprietary right to not have to give away their secret recipe, they, um, they they can get away with not putting anything except the word fragrance. So when you see the word fragrance on your product, which you're probably going to see, that could be anything, and um, it's it's it, it isn't listed at all. Or it just there are says actually fragrance. some beauty products that sell that. Yeah, there are actually some beauty products that uh, um, they have a reputation by selling products that are fragrance free mm-hmm. in general and by experience some uh, we're talking mostly about makeup and you know beauty products like night creams and so forth in general the experience is that women have um, women have less allergic reactions with these products mm. yeah that would make sense well, it's interesting yeah, to think, a- too, about how the skin is perceived. And um, I'm interested to get your guys' perspective in uh, Europe, because in the U.S., kind of how they get away with selling all these products is that um, they kind of base it on the fact that the skin doesn't really absorb all these things, right? So the reality is our skin is super dynamic and multi-layered and it's the largest organ in the body so it's constantly um you know absorbing eliminating respiring and the cosmetic industry has kind of really sold this false idea that you can use all these products especially for women like you were saying gabby uh you know face makeup and lipstick and that it's not going to penetrate into your bloodstream or that it won't have any sort of deeper effect on you other than just topically. Yeah, this this view of the skin it goes, is, which is shows weird. how little do we know. Oh, there's hello, Elliot. Yeah, hello, guys. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, you made it. I was hiding in the background, <laughs> <laughs> putting on your personal care products before the show. <laughs> yeah, I, 
I forgot the foundation earlier. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was just going to say that I think it's, uh, it's the, this, this kind of, this, this way that we perceive the skin, um, is really, really, uh, one of the main problems. I think, as you said, like the, the cosmetic industry really capitalizes on this idea that the skin is somehow separate from the internal body and how mm. if you've got issues with your skin, if you have dry skin or uh, spots or, or something like that, say inflammation, um, that, that it has nothing to do with what is going on inside the body and that it's just merely something is default wrong with the skin. And therefore, they, they, they make claims that, okay, if you put this product on your skin, then this will somehow cure the, the issue when, I mean, in, in reality, that is the opposite of the truth. It's the, the skin, as you've said, is, is the largest, largest organ of the body. And it's actually, it's almost like a mirror image of what's going on inside of the body. So if there's something wrong with the skin, then it's usually not really anything actually wrong with the skin. It's more there's something going wrong inside. And mm-hmm. without correcting what's going on inside, then there's, you, I, I guess this is the way that they make, they make so much money out of this is because, um, because it never really heals anything. And so these people have to constantly keep, say, moisturizing their skin, constantly buying more products because they have this dry skin and they don't ever think to look at what what might be the cause of that, the internal cause. Um, and, and as long as this, this, so, this idea of this, this, this skin is, is propagated, it's, it's, I guess it just reaps in loads of profits. Mm. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was doing research for this show and they were talking about how, yeah, and how, especially in the West, that um, we're a society of makeup junkies. I mean, you can see it just in social media alone, but, you know, think of the beauty industry and all these magazines that they sell at the store for women and uh, some pretty frightening statistics. Beauty sites or social media like YouTube, they have over... 125 million subscribers. And that was just in 2015. Mm. And um, there was also a study done at the Renfrew Center for uh, Foundation that um, found almost half of all women in the U.S. said they felt unattractive without putting on makeup. Uh, Yeah. And so it's it's like uh... selling... It is selling profit to this unrealistic idea that women and men have about themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it, that just kind of points to kind of the more macroscopic view of, uh, of our society and how, you know, insecure and uh, everybody kind of feels out there that they need to have, you know, it goes much beyond makeup, of course, but just in terms of makeup, that that somebody isn't attractive unless they're using all these different kinds of products. And you know, I'm not bashing it, it, it totally. Like, sure, if um, you know, a woman wants to get dressed up once in a while or something like that and put on some makeup, I don't really see anything wrong with that. But at the same time, the idea it, it almost has like an addictive quality to it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, once somebody starts using it, they they don't feel complete unless they've they've kind of made themselves up in the morning and. Uh, and put on all these products and all these different things, it becomes like kind of part of the routine. And, uh, and yeah, you don't, you don't quite feel right unless you've done all these rituals. Well, well, maybe there is some, uh, literary, literary meaning on there because, uh, 
I want to say that the skin is one of the best delivery methods for drugs, you know, and mm. possibly like <laughs> all the products that we're talking about too, you know, that are patches of opioid drugs. They, uh, you know, especially the elderly nowadays are using and it works really mm. well, very effectively. Progesterone cream is delivered by the skin. Magnesium topical therapy is very effective as well. And actually mm. inhaling stuff is one of the best deliveries. And actually when you inhale something, and it could be any drug for therapeutic use, but it could be a fragrance as well. It has a direct link with your brain. There is like no blood-brain barrier there in the patch mm. connecting your the end of your nose with your brain. There is no blood-brain brain barrier. So it's one of the best ways to get into your system. So that is one aspect. The other aspect I want to say, like a little bit of the devil in the details, I don't see anything wrong with makeup. I think girls, you know, people in general have a lot of fun with it. It's like, you know, an artistic expression, so to speak. But yes, we do need to be more conscious about the products that we're using. So that's just a, another opinion. Exactly. And in this um, research I was doing about the Society of Makeup Junkies, they were talking about how... You know, humans have been using makeup for 5,000 years. You know, you think of the coal that they use in Egypt to accentuate the eyes and in Asia, the white face powder, which turned out to be extremely toxic. But that it's, yeah. it's, um, it's more of a problem when we have that psychological dependence on it. Like someone in our chat said, I would never leave the house without makeup on. It's unthinkable. And again, that societal pressure. I mean, I personally never wear makeup more because it just requires a lot of energy in the morning. But it's interesting um, in a job setting how, oh, I notice you don't have any makeup on. You know, it becomes like this topic of discussion. And um, at which point I have to bite my tongue and not go into the fact, well, uh, you know, then, hmm. There's some scary products out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to address a little bit of how things have changed and how um, in the West, the whole beauty regime was really influenced by uh, the cosmetic industry and um, actually a history of subsidies from, can you guess, the oil production byproducts. Mm -hmm. So we had this great article on SOT called Skin Science, uh, debunking propaganda from the cosmetic industry. And they're talking about how the cosmetic industry um, is a history of subsidies, false science, and under-regulation. And how in the 1950s, government subsidies incentivized companies to process oil byproducts into synthetic chemicals and resins. They wanted to capitalize on these subsidies, so the cosmetic industry actually hired engineers to design their products. And in those products, we have synthetic substances sold as body and skin care products. They created the misconception that the skin is impervious and regulations misleadingly classify oil cosmetics as external products, ignoring the effects of dermal chemical absorption. So we went from using probably homemade products. You know, people used to make soap out of um, lard and tallow. 
and maybe even butter to moisturize. And then all of a sudden we had all these synthetic kind of chemicals on the market that were available and yeah. the personal care product industry was born. Yeah. I mean, the fact, the fact that so many of these products on the, on the market, like the vast, vast majority of them are actual petrochemicals. Like they're taking that from o- the oil industry and, uh, and, and turning that into like a skincare product. Like I mean, if you just think about that, there's like a disconnect there. It's like, why would I want to take this crude black stuff and, you know, refine it and then smear it all over myself? It's just like, when you look at it that way, it just doesn't really seem to make much sense. I agree. <laughs> so who smears black stuff yeah. all over themselves? <laughs> Can't say I've done that. Well, as far as regulation goes then, so again, looking I into the so. studies. Yes, what, what were you going to say, Gabby? Did we lose Gabby? No, I guess a lot of people do. I was going to... Oh, sorry. You're there. I think we just have a delay. So there are some organizations that, um, you know, claim to review products, at least in the West. And one of them is the Cosmetics Ingredient Review Panel. And um, they're actually funded by the cosmetic industry. (laughs) And in the last 30 years, um, they've tested less than 20% of the ingredients used in cosmetics. And so most companies do their own testing. And even though there's mountains of scientific research that is showing, you know, this constant exposure can cause things such as cancer, learning disabilities, autism, asthma, infertility, birth defects, nobody's really, you know, addressing that issue. And um, no. In 2007, there was a a campaign for safe cosmetics, and they were commissioned to test 33 of the top-selling red lipsticks uh, that women use, and they found lead in 61% of them. So follow-up tests were done by the FDA, and they found even higher levels of lead than the original test commissioned by the campaign for safe cosmetics. So, uh, what do they say they do about it, Erica? <laughs> absolutely okay. nothing. So for they you ladies nothing. that like to wear lipstick, some of the top selling brands, L'Oreal, Maybelline, CoverGirl, Revlon. Those are some of the ones. And you know, it's interesting because I work in a spa and we sell organic quote unquote products. So this really got me thinking we do, we have makeup and I started looking at the makeup and, um, there's an organization that does do some testing, uh, by the environmental working group. They have a database and we've mentioned this on a previous show when we talked about, uh, sunscreen, but it's called, mm-hmm. uh, skin deep and you can basically type almost any product that you find on the shelf into their d- database and it's going to give you a scale of 1 to 10 on toxicity, 1 being not very toxic, obviously 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 more toxic. And even the natural makeup companies, while a lot of their products are low toxicity, things like lipstick are in the 7 and 8 
range. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the FDA's response to that whole thing about the lead and the lipstick, and they said, well, it's, it's a small amount and people aren't, you know, really, you don't ingest it. It's considered an external product, et cetera. I mean, <laughs> when lipstick wears off, where does it go? You know, people, it goes, you know, anytime you're eating food, anytime, you know, just by like wetting your lips or whatever, you're going to get that lipstick going into your mouth and it's going to be absorbed. I mean, not to mention the fact that the lips themselves are actually uh, really one of the more absorbent parts of the body that um, you can actually absorb very well through the lips. So the idea that it's, it's harmless to have this lead in the lipstick is just ridiculous. There's proof for that, actually. Like, several women have tested for heavy metals with a challenge urine test with a heavy metal collator. And uh, they came back very high in lead. So, after doing some research, we were finding out that, actually, it's the lead in beauty products <laughs> that's showing up <laughs> in our bodies. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, and in Europe. So I'm curious. Does it? Oh, go on, Elliot. Sorry, no. I was just going to ask: uh, Is anyone sure as to why there's lead in the lipstick? Is it one of the the ingredients that they used is derived from lead, or, or something like that? I don't know for sure, but I know it has something to do with the pigments, like the colorings that they they're, that they're using, um, like the pigmentation. I, I don't know where they're deriving it from, but apparently that is where the lead toxicity comes from. Okay. Well, even in um, in the U.S., so we in- cannot use lead-based paint in our houses, but yes. we can use lipstick with lead. <laughs> and um, what's interesting is children's face paint. You know, you think uh, Halloween or even birthday parties where kids get their face painted. It's this really fun thing. Um, you know, they found that uh, in 2009, children's face paints uh, found 10 out of the 10 products tested had lead in it. So I think you're right. I think you're right, Doug. I think it's a way to hold the pigment and, you know, maybe keep it there without washing off. I mean, why not just use a Sharpie to paint a kid's face? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a little safer. Could be. I don't know. Just a whole set of markers. Yeah, we'll just give them a block of lead to chew on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's interesting is that um, the European Union has banned a lot of these toxic ingredients in cosmetics or chemicals, Mm -hmm. um, approximately 1,400. And they did that because they're known or suspected of causing cancer, genetic mutation, and birth defects. And the U.S. and Canada have only uh, banned eight. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) And so um, more than 500 products sold in the U.S. actually contain ingredients that are banned in Japan, Canada, and European Union. And, And that doesn't even mention, you know, toxins in pharmaceutical cleaners or makeup removers. And I don't know if we'll go into all that in the show today, but it just seems frightening, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a giant experiment, and we're just going to see how far it goes. It's like all the other industries. It's like the food industry. You know, how much 
toxic pesticides can we put in food till we actually start seeing side effects or results? Well, yeah, but it's actually, it's not even really an experiment because an experiment would like assume that somebody's actually sitting there and collecting results. But it's like, it, it's there, there's all this exposure going on, but nobody is looking at it or very few people are actually looking at it. Um, and nobody is drawing, you know, lines between the declining health of the civilization uh, and comparing it to, well, maybe it has something to do with all this toxic crap that we're smearing all over our faces. Like it's not, you know, it, it, it is, inter- it is kind of like an experiment in a way because we don't know what's going to happen, but nobody's actually like drawing the actual connections between what people are ingesting through their skin or even through their food or whatever the case may be. And what's actually the result is. So, you know, when people show up at the doctor's office with some kind of, uh, you know, disorder or some kind of like symptoms that are showing up, nobody's actually digging in and saying, well, oh, you know what? It's actually, it's the face cream that you've been using for the last like 20 years. Mm-hmm. There was something else that I actually, found really I'm, I don't know if I'm live again. Sorry if I'm interrupting. <laughs> you are live, <laughs> Gabby. Go ahead, Gabby. Guys, sorry, carry on because I have a delay. I just wanted to say that I was completely shocked to reading the news that woman died after dying their hair. That mm-hmm. there's a very toxic ingredient there that all dyes have them, all permanent dyes have them. And mm-hmm. yes, they actually, the doctor said, yes, it was this ingredient from the paint, uh, from the dyeing paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... that chemical was um was that phenylalanidiamine? <laughs> yes. PPD, <laughs> I think. Yeah. PPD. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and they that's why they say that you should go for like um an allergy skin test before you ever dye your hair, say 48 hours before, but she did that and um and then after was it? Was yeah. there? Or so, someone else did that, and they still had an allergic reaction, basically. So what they're saying is yeah. that even even though you do do this allergy test, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to be affected by it, um, and it can mm-hmm. actually shut down the central nervous system. This stuff can. Um, so God only knows why they're. I mean, why it's in hair dyes? I mean, you can make hair dyes without it. Apparently, they don't la- last as long. It's not as permanent. Mm. Um, so I guess. To, to make a permanent hair dye, they're um, sacrificing the health of everyone who uses the, the dye. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there are things like henna, uh, too, that uh, was used in India, and it dyes mm-hmm. the skin and the hair. And again, it doesn't have long-lasting effects, but I would think it's better than, you know, dying from getting your hair dyed. Terrible well, apparently... Sentence. The the thing that PPD does that all these other things don't do is that it covers up gray. So these people who who you know have some gray hair and they're a little self conscious about that and are trying to dye their hair, um, that's that apparently you can't get you can't cover up gray unless you use this PPD stuff. That's what they say anyway. I mean I'm I'm, I'm sure there's something, but apparently that's that's the the main justification for actually using it. Wow. I was just going to say before um, that I thought it was really interesting how it kind of links into what you were saying before, Doug, about the um, the use of fragrance in the um, mm-hmm. the ingredients. But what what they've also found is that 
Um, say when you buy a, a perfume or a cologne, then it will have a certain list of ingredients. But there are actually some ingredients that don't have to be listed by law. Um, it's like a, a loophole that the cosmetic industry has managed to to sort of work through. And that is because basically a lot of the the individual scents for the cologne or the perfume, they're, they're held by like a patent. So it's almost like a trade secret. They they cannot almost um, it basically if they tell other people what their ingredients are, then they have that the the likelihood of that product being able to be um, replicated. And so mm-hmm. by law, they don't actually have to state what many of these ingredients are. Um, and it turns out that a lot of them haven't actually been tested for safety. So um, the the chemicals that that were found in the perfumes that hadn't been listed on the ingredients um there's there's a table here that says 66 percent of those um have never been assessed for for safety um so and and these are some potentially toxic things and i I just thought it was really sad how um these these companies don't legally have to mention that they've got them in um and so really you can be using this perfume and look at all of the ingredients and it might look like the ingredients are fairly benign, but mm-hmm. you could actually be ingesting uh, a heck load of other stuff um, yeah. that you have no way of tracing back. So I, I think it's kind of just safe if just, just to give it up really just to, 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 but here's the thing though, the, like they, that article that you're talking about, which is called hidden chemicals in perfume and cologne, um, and it says that there's uh, the average fragrance tested had 14, 14 secret chemicals not listed on the label. But the thing is that any product that you see that has um, uh, a the fragrance on the label would fall under that category as having all these hidden ingredients. So, I mean, that that includes like, you know, your floor cleaner, your shampoo, like your soap, pretty much everything. So I, I, I agree, like, you know, perfumes and cologne are pretty useless overall, really. I mean, they're not really that necessary. Um, and I think that most people could probably give them up pretty easily and probably should. But the problem is that it's anything that says fragrance. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you know, you're not necessarily safe just by avoiding um, perfumes and colognes. Exactly. And as we uh, stated in the show description, uh, natural and supposedly organic products. So I did a little fact-finding mission this week and looked at every single product on the shelf that are, you know, organic and natural, so to speak, especially with those flashy labels, you know, uh, fair trade, animal, no animals tested, etc. And almost every single one of them had fragrance in it. So what does that mean? And you can tell, I mean, some people are highly susceptible to the smells. You know, you you walk into a hotel is a great example, and now they they put Febreze in the rooms, and they spray it on the beds, and it's nauseating. I mean, it, it really overwhelms you, and if you're sensitive to that, it can cause asthma or allergic reaction, even certain skincare products that you think may be natural or organic, you put them on and in 15 minutes you break out in a rash. That's not a good sign. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, it's a whole greenwashing thing, right? Like people take the same old crappy product and they throw a green label on it and put the word natural on there. And all of a sudden people believe that it's, it's actually uh, not harmful and that they're, they actually care enough to source ingredients that aren't going to be toxic or, and it's, it's, uh, it's just nonsense. It's, uh, it's just packaging. It's marketing. And again, it's back to that whole beauty myth thing. Um, you know, you were talking about how the fragrance and perfumes are not essential, but, but again, it's like this whole, um, way of navigating out there in the world with women in particular. I always, uh, find that women who wear a lot of, uh, perfume, they give you a hug or you get close to them and it rubs off on you and you smell uh, like that yeah. for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, um, I have a little internal joke. Oh, she must be wearing excess today. <laughs> but it can be very overwhelming. I mean, it, it, back in the 90s, you used to walk into department stores and the women would stand there and spray you with yeah. perfume. It was very violating. I, I haven't been into a, a store like that in a while, but I would imagine that they did away with that. Probably after getting a lot of <laughs> like complaints Negative and customers. <laughs> Anybody with an environmental sensitivity would probably freak right out if somebody did that. But yeah, like you're saying about the people, you know, you come across these people and you pass them on the street or whatever, you're in a store with them and they're just absolutely drenched in the stuff. And it's like, I get a little woozy just to, mm-hmm. you know, pa- passing somebody along the street who's, who's just drenched in it. And it's not just women either. I mean, a lot of times, more often than not, actually, I think it's men are just like soaked in cologne. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I mean, they, do, I, I would assume they don't know what they're doing to themselves. And I don't know why they feel like they need to, you know, project this smell around for like a 20 meter radius. But anyway, a little rant there. It's Good, also really you. ironic um, how people say they buy a product to 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 increase the health of their skin, or you know, to um, update their complexity, or whatever they aim to do when they buy these product <laughs> but basically they'll put this stuff on their skin and little do they know that things like uh, I don't know, like uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's called ptalates or ptalates. Ballate. Phthalates. phthalates. Yeah, phthalates. Yeah. Well, phthalates are uh, basically hormone disrupt- disruptors. So they can do damage to, to the, the balance of the hormones in the body. And funny enough, when you've got hormonal imbalances, this often comes up in your skin. Um, and so <laughs> people are putting these hormone disrupting chemicals on their skin to cure some skin uh, issue. And what they're actually unknowingly doing is only making that worse. And so they enter this vicious cycle of, oh, okay, I need to buy more of these products to put this on my skin to to heal whatever's going wrong. But Mm. but actually, they're they're just making it worse. And, you know, they think that they they need more products or different products. Um, You know, this product's going to do that, and then I need this one to do that. And it it just becomes like this cycle of buying loads of products and putting lots of nasty stuff on the skin Um, and just, you know, digging a ditch for oneself. Exactly. So what what are some of the products besides phthalates? I mean, what can people do really? You know, again, we were talking earlier in the show about trying to read ingredients. It's kind of like food labels. And in the research that we did for the show this week, 
one really good suggestion was if you can't pronounce it, you know, don't use it. But if you wouldn't be Mm -hmm. willing to eat it, don't put it on your skin either. And so, yep. So, in addition to phthalates and lead, we talked about, and Gabby just mentioned aluminum as well. We have things like parabens. Mm-hmm. You have any info on parabens? I just know uh, that it, I think they're put into they're put into those products as kind of like an antibacterial. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're they've been shown to be endocrine disruptors, and I think uh, yeah, it's breast cancer that uh, that they've been kind of tied to. And in fact, um, one of the worst things about parabens is that well, for one thing, they're everywhere. They're in all kinds of, of these different products. They're in like shower gels and shampoos and conditioners and lotions and all this different kind of stuff. But what they've found is that um, teenage girls, you know, they go through this kind of phase where they, they are buying all these different products. And, you know, I guess, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, dabbling in the adult world in a certain sense and like kind of uh, experimenting with this kind of stuff. But they tend to use a lot of it. And that's when they have kind of the developing breast tissue. And what they've actually found is that um, they, they've actually found parabens in breast tumors. So, I mean, there's not a cause and effect there necessarily, but uh, it's extremely suspicious. Frightening. You also yeah. have um, toluene, and that's yeah. one that's apparently found in hair dyes and nail polishes. Um, this is a known toxin to the nervous system. Um, it can basically, it, it can again shut down the nervous system quite quickly. Um, it's been, it's been linked with birth defects, miscarriages, um, all of this type of stuff. That's, that's another nasty one. And apparently the, um, the people who work in these salons or, or do, do this as a career, um, they're the ones who are, who get some real toxic exposure. Similar to the hair dye, the, the, the people who work in the salons and the hairdressers. Um, I think there was a study, I can't remember the exact amount, but I think it showed that hairdressers and people who work in these places are much more likely to get certain types of cancers. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they theorized that it was maybe because of the PPD exposure. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Another one is talc. Like in yeah, baby powder. I was surprised at that one, actually. So it's a known carcinogen, and uh, it's in uh, deodorant, feminine hygiene products, eyeshadows, foundation, lipsticks, face masks, you know, uh, children's, you know, face paint. <laughs> and um, what else do we have here? Titanium dioxide. I know that's in sunscreen. So it's a class five carcinogen. (laughs) (laughs) So don't get out in the sun. Just put some titanium dioxide on you. Uh, Another one, and it was mentioned earlier in the chat, and it's kind of not really well known, but I I had a little experience with this urea. Can anybody guess what urea is? It Uh. is... Wee wee. Yes. It's urine. <laughs> it's a, bi- a byproduct of metabolism. <laughs> so um, there's a product that we carry in the spy work at that has urea in the ingredients. And again, it wasn't listed on the label. You had to go to the website to find it. And it's, yes, piss, essentially. Um, 
<laughs> Usually from animals, and we'll get into a little bit later about animal products in beauty care, but um, because you cannot use animal products in beauty care products, at least in the U.S., they chemically synthesize it to put it in beauty products. Mm. So I found that kind of interesting. Artificial urine. Mm-hmm. So- <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Another, well, another one, is, one that actually, oh, go on. sorry, uh, another one that's getting actually has, has been kind of getting a lot of press um, in the last few years is um, sodium lauryl sulfate, a similar one called sodium laureth sulfate. Um, sometimes it's just on the label as SLS or SLES. And that one is kind of, a, um, it's like a foaming agent. So they put it into a lot of like, cleaning products and stuff, but it's, it's almost like a paint stripper, like how, how strong it is. And, um, it actually, ironically, uh, I mean, it does cause uh, a lot of problems like skin irritation. And if you get it in your eyes, it can be quite damaging. And, um, there's a lot of other things wrong with it as well. Like one, one being that it actually really dries out your skin a lot. Um, so the fact that they put it in things like soaps is, is pretty hilarious, but, um, apparently it's been getting a lot of press lately because, um, they found that it actually um, removes like hair dye and interferes with, um, you know, straightening treatments or perms or that sort of thing. So a lot of people are looking for um, SLS free shampoos and things like that, simply not because it's bad for them, but simply because it's ruining their hair treatments that they're doing. So, you know, you go out and you get a a hair dye with your, um, what was it called? PPD. Um, so you get totally toxified by that, but then you turn around and say, well, I want a, um, a sodium lauryl sulfate free, uh, shampoo to, to treat my hair afterwards. So it's kind of, kind of ironic. Frightening. Another one is formaldehyde. Yeah. And, um, it's in a lot of things, not just personal care products, but it's a known carcinogen and it's actually used as a preservative to kill or inhibit the growth of microorganisms and so it's in soap shampoos lotions deodorants nail polishes hair gel um it's also a fungicide germicide disinfectant Mm. and it's been linked to spontaneous abortion and low birth weight jeez one of the scary things about formaldehyde too is that sometimes they're not even putting formaldehyde in there, but it's an interaction between two of the ingredients will create it. So a lot of times, you know, it, it'll be in there, but it's not on the label and you wouldn't be able to find out that it's in there because the company isn't actually deliberately putting it in, but just these, this other kind of shit storm of chemicals that they've put together will create that as kind of a byproduct, which is even scarier when you start to think about these these all the how all these different toxic things interact with each other or the, how they interact with other things in your body or on your skin or you know in the environment it's yeah, a pretty the scary synergistic thing. effect exactly yeah that's massively disturbing because you know a, a company can claim that they've had all of their ingredients tested um, but have they had all of the ingredients tested when they're in one compound together you know, yeah. probably not. I mean, the, the majority of research would not cover something as complex as that. So, yeah, I mean, it's very disturbing. Definitely. Yeah, another one was benzophenes. So this is used in foundation 
and um, it provides UV protection. So again, you know, the whole scaring of the sun and um, it's known to cause allergic reactions, rashes, and even anaphylactic shock. It's also used in lip balm. So again, to that idea of, you know, putting this on your lips and if anybody's been addicted to chapstick, they know. I mean, you're applying that 10, 15, 20 times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also in fragrances, shampoo, hairspray, and baby sunblock. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get them early. There's also one um, that's in the U.S. Luckily, it's banned in Japan, the European Union, and Australia. Um, It's a skin bleaching agent called hydroquinone. Um, Mm. And it's usually used in Asian and African countries um, for skin lightening products. Because it's interesting, when you go over to a country like India or something, um, I was really fascinated actually to see how the women over there they had darker complexions and yet they were told that the image that they should um aim for was to have lighter skin you know white skin and so they they put this toxic powder stuff on their face to try and bleach their skin um but this one yeah hydroquinone it's called and um and apparently it's carcinogen and it's also been linked to something called onchronosis. Onchronosis, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's basically a condition in which um, grayish-brown spots and bumps occur on the skin. So imagine mm-hmm. that, like you just put this stuff on your, your face and then a couple of weeks later you come out in like gray bumps. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> scary. <laughs> pretty scary, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, just the idea that a skin treatment could contain something that causes rashes, gray bumps, cause your skin to fall apart. Yikes. <laughs> well, another one is you know, one slash four dioxane, and um, this is a hidden ingredient not listed on labels. It's a, a carcinogen known to cause eye and respiratory tract irritant irritation. Um, and it readily penetrates the skin. It's suspected of being a, a kidney toxicant, a neurotoxicant, and a respiratory toxicant. And um, there was actually a study done by the Organic Consumers Association in 2008 that found it in almost all leading organic brand personal care products. So it it, it basically is found in... Products such as Kiss My Face, Jason, Eco Lover, Alba, Life Tree, Giovanni, Seventh Generation, Earth Friendly Products. And um, it's just frightening. But one of the things that lists here is how you can find it labeled. So they are really tricky about labeling it. And it's basically anything that has M Y R E T H. Or O-L-E-T-H, or like you were saying, Doug, the Loreth, L-A-U-R-E-T-H. Mm. Um, basically anything with E-T-H, it, it has it, is, is this dioxane. So maybe they will be, oh, well, we, we told you it was in there. <laughs> Listed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so crafty. Very crafty. Yeah. Well, you know, back to that idea that it's almost a five hundred dollar billion, five hundred billion dollar industry. So, is industry going to yeah. take the time 
and money to make sure that these things aren't happening? I don't really know. I don't have a lot of faith. Well, that's that's one of the crazy things about all this. The fact that it's a $500 billion in, industry. Like that, it just kind of blows my mind. Like, I mean, obviously there's some kind of like beauty crisis going on or something like that, where people seem to be like, well, need is the wrong word, but like the fact that people are so um, motivated to go out and get this kind of stuff, you know, kind of says that there's, there's obviously something wrong going on here. And I think like personally that, you know, the food we eat, the pollution we're breathing in all like just our toxic environment in general is causing a degradation in people. And then they're turning to these external things to try and correct these problems. So it's like you were saying, Elliot, like anytime there's a problem with the skin, essentially what you're looking at, there's a problem on the inside. And people are turning to these external um, attempted cures for these external problems, not realizing that it's actually a problem on the inside. So it just, it's, it's kind of the fact that it's reached this kind of epidemic proportion is just kind of very telling to me that these people are, are kind of poisoning themselves. And once this starts to show up in what they're doing, then they turn to more external things to try and solve the problem. Exactly. It completely ne- neglects the whole concept of listening to one's body as well, because the skin has yeah. this uncanny ability of letting us know when something's wrong. You know, if, if, you know, something's going on inside and we need to know about it, we may come up in a rash, we may get hives, you know, there may be some inflammation or something. It's almost like that's a way to communicate to us that there is something wrong and we need to change something. But when you're constantly trying to hide this stuff and you try to cover it up, then you're essentially ignoring what your body's telling you because your body is Mm -hmm. trying to tell you something. You know, you may not feel that there's an issue inside. You may have no pain, but if you've got something on your skin, then your body is like a way of communicating to you that you need to change something. But by, you know, again, by, by, by constantly covering this stuff up, it's just another, another way in which people completely ignore every signal that their body gives them to tell them that they need to improve in some way, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you see that a lot. Go on, Doug. Sorry, go ahead, Erica. Oh, I was just going <laughs> to say, you see that a lot with, like, acne, right? Um, especially, Doug, you were saying earlier with teens, young girls. So they have, obviously, all these hormones going on, and the diet choices are probably contributing to that. But then, you know, they have to go to school, they have to go out in public, and so they feel that they need to be presentable. And so they use these types of products, and usually it's the cheaper products, you know, at Long's or Walmart or whatever that they buy these foundations and stuff to cover up this acne and it basically blocks all the pores in the skin and then it just keeps accentuating the problem and it's ongoing mm-hmm. for many people into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say that I, I had actually a nutrition teacher when I was um, a nutrition school and he said... Um, it was like lipstick on a pile of poop, only it didn't say poop. And uh, it's it's kind of that that's kind of what it is, you know what I mean? Like this 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 person is is almost like rotting from the inside in a way, and then they put their their lipstick on and their makeup on to try and cover that up. It's very sad, actually. Yeah. So, what kind of regulations are happening? I mean, obviously, people are are 
interested and they want to know and there's all this information coming out about all these things, endocrine disruptors and, you know, infertility and, oh my gosh, if I use this makeup, will I never be able to have children? And, um, <laughs> you know, there's these uh, organizations, like I said earlier, like Environmental Working Group, where they're trying to educate people and giving them tools to do the research and, you know, encouraging people to read labels. But is there anything really happening to deal with these 84,000 chemicals or any sort of, well, here in the U.S. legislation? <laughs> Not really. So I did some, Not really. I did some research on it. And, um, when Obama was president, uh, he passed, um, a bill that he was claiming was a really big deal. And basically after 40, for the first time in 40 years, he wanted to address, you know, this whole idea of chemical safety legislation. So he revised the tops toxic substance control act. And basically it gives the U S environmental protection agency authority to regulate chemicals used commercially in the United States. So I'm reading this article back in August thinking, oh, you know, this is interesting. Maybe some things will change. And they had a big signing ceremony and, you know, it was supposed to ensure safety for all the chemicals used in the U.S. for the human health and environment. And he's actually quoted as saying, even with the best intentions, the previous law didn't quite work the way it should have in practice. And so the TSCA, as they call it, allowed approximately 62,000 chemicals already on the market when it was passed in uh, 1976 to continue being used without safety testing. And, you know, they try to put the EPA in control of it. And from our listeners and readers of SOT know the EPA is pretty much a totally useless organization. I mean, they can't really do much of anything. But when they passed this bill, there was a little uh, interesting note about what it's going to regulate. And so it says, the TSCA does not regulate pesticides, chemicals used in cosmetics, and personal care products, food, food packaging, or pharmaceuticals. So (laughs) what do they regulate? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. We regulate nothing. Yeah. Here's a new bill. It does nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what are, what are people to do? You know, again, back to the idea of organic and safe products. Well, you know, so if I buy my skin lotion at the health store, I'm getting a safe product, right? And they just kind of have faith that it's going to be a safe product mm. or that those organic yeah. ingredients are, are okay. And from the research, it seems like, it's not really the. It's not really happening like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it just I, comes. I down. think. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say. I just well, think it comes comes down to um to basically taking responsibility, individual responsibility, and to really sort of truly understand that you cannot rely on any authority to be able to tell you what is what is safe for you to use or what is safe to you ingest 
and this this applies to food this applies to beauty products this applies to absolutely everything so you, individual mm. responsibility is what it really comes down to and i think like if something uh, a lot of the time if you can't read it if, if you can't pronounce it on the label then it means that it's probably bad um that's not the case in all cases because you know sometimes if there's essential oils or some types of fruits or plants or herbs they they will use the full name and often i can't pronounce those names but i know they're not particularly bad because <laughs> they're latin <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um but generally if something's packaged in in a bottle or something like that it's gone through massive amounts of processing the chances are it's probably not good for your skin it's probably not good for your body um so i would opt for things that are naturally available um you know coconut oil cocoa butter um different Mm. essential oils i mean you can make your own uh perfume i make my own so i use uh, um some different essential oils and i um add put them with with like an alcohol solution but you can just use distilled water and granted it doesn't last as long but um i mean it's not really like a necessity is it you think about it like what does it really matter how you smell i mean as long as like you don't stink a bo or something <laughs> as external yeah. consideration you don't want to stink the place out but just take a shower you know you don't need to be lathered <laughs> in these products so it comes down well, to what I... is necessary yeah that's exactly what I was going to say. I think, I think that really you kind of have to take on a minimalist kind of approach to these things. Like, what do you actually need? Do you need to have 25 products on your bathroom counter that you need to go like use every day? Probably not. And I think that you can look for natural alternatives to some, but I also think that sometimes when you stop using them, uh, things, your body tends to kind of regulate itself. Mm-hmm. Like I noticed, um, a number of years ago, um, a girl I was seeing at the time started doing um, the, she talked about the no poo movement and that's poo as in shampoo. (laughs) And it was basically like people who stopped using shampoo because essentially what you're doing is every, every day you're shampooing or every other day or whichever, you're kind of stripping all the natural oils out of your hair and your body as a result produces more because it needs to protect the hair. So everybody thinks, oh, if I go a day without washing my hair, then my hair gets all greasy. Well, yeah, that's only because you're washing your hair every day. Mm-hmm. See, once I, I kind of got onto this and I kind of slowly got off it, I started doing uh, just washing my hair less. And then I started using um, conditioner instead of shampoo. And then eventually I just was like, okay, I'm not doing anything. And yeah, you go through like a period where your body is still kind of overproducing those oils and, and you, get, you have a bit of a greasy phase. But you're, you're eventually your hair kind of regulates itself. Now, this might be more um, easy for guys or for people with short hair to do. Um, I know some people have said they tried to do it, but because they had long hair, it didn't really work and they needed to use something on it. But I mean, this is just an example. Um, another thing that I did was I stopped using deodorant. And it was basically because all the deodorants I was using was giving me a rash. So I was looking for different solutions and I came upon sodium, uh, sodium bicarbonate. And let me tell you, first of all, it works better than any deodorant I've ever used before. It just completely oh, cuts yeah. odor. Like, there's, <laughs> I don't know why everybody doesn't just use this instead of using all these other products because it works so well. And it, I mean, you have to, you have to do very, a very light dusting of it because if you use too much of it, it can be irritating. But I, I'll just take like a little bit of, of sodium bicarbonate and kind of dust it in my armpits and forget about odor. 
Like it can last like a couple of days even. It's it it I I just I don't know. It like it was such a revelation to me when I started using this. I'm like, why have I ever used anything else? This just works better than anything. Wow. I can I can attest to that. It is absolutely amazing. I went through a period where I was trying all of these so-called natural deodorants and they were all like giving me irritation. And so I started using bicarbonate soda. And at first I used too much. And so what I found was it kind of stuck to my armpit. And because it's really quite abrasive, um, it can cause you some irritation. But I think that's more like um, I think that's the physical properties of the actual bicarbonate crystals. Um, Mm. And so if you just use, as you said, Doug, like a small light dusting and it lasts for days. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So well, yeah, as far as like personal care products, I, I use actually very little. And the ones that I do use tend to be just kind of like household things. When I do wash my hair, which isn't very often, I just use soap. I just take a bar of soap and scrub it on my head. Would that be Dove or something like that, Doug? <laughs> no, I tend to try and get the more natural ones. But of course, who knows? <laughs> actually, the ones I'm using, I do have, I think uh, their, their fragrance uh, is essential oils. So mm-hmm. it's not... Uh, not really nasty stuff. Well, another thing you can use on your hair for buildup, especially if you've been using a lot of those shampoos with all those, you know, parabens and whatnot in it is just straight apple cider vinegar. Mm, Yeah. And that breaks up a lot of that. And there are even products out there now, really fancy health product or not even health products, but you know, the sold at the, the department stores by a company called Freddie Fakai, some famous hairdresser, and he actually made a uh, apple cider vinegar hair wash for forty five dollars. You know, <laughs> basically, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, the good thing about uh, uh, apple cider vinegar too is that it has uh, live bacterial culture in it. As long as you get one that isn't pasteurized, mm-hmm. so you're actually helping the bacterial balance of your skin at the same time. And we talked about that um, in terms of uh, MRSA when we did a show on that before um, using uh, kombucha, which is kind of similar. It's a live bacterial culture. So yeah, um, putting stuff like that on your skin actually is a really good idea because uh, anything that will help to rebalance the bacterial balance of the skin uh, can help with a lot of different skin conditions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I think uh, for people who who still use lots of products on their skin or have sort of gradually faded away from that. But I think that I, I would imagine that using all of these toxic, toxic products probably does really disrupt the bacterial balance of the skin. So I think um, it may even be ad- advisable to, to just do that once or twice, almost just like to sort mm. of re- re-cleanse the skin. I, I've, I've considered doing that with like some probiotics just in some water or as um, mm-hmm. the guy did with MRSA, Storm Clouds Gathering, he spoke about using kombucha. And I figured that might might be a, a good way to sort of cleanse um, all of the past damage that I've done to my skin um, mm-hmm. and sort of get things back into balance maybe. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a great idea. And I would imagine even the apple cider vinegar being applied to the skin, you know, initially as a way to get rid of dead skin cells and whatnot. I mean, because you really see that a lot in in women's beauty regimes. You know, they use makeup remover, they use facial toner, they use scrubs, or they use all these different things. And it just becomes this treadmill 
of of addiction in a sense. You know, I I can personally attest to going to the health store and seeing what new, you know, product is on the line and oh, I should try this or that or the other thing and really simple is best. It really mm-hmm. is just you know, you're not buying into this whole beauty myth aspect that all these things are going to make you younger. I mean, we're aging every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we were hoping to have a Zoya pet health segment today, and it looks like that might not be happening. So I wanted to go into um, our recipe and talking about all these um, alternative skin cares and what we can do to kind of extraplicate ourselves from this whole personal care product industry and spending all our hard-earned money on things that we don't really need is making your own skincare products and uh, doing research for this show, I found a recipe for making facial cream and body cream with tallow. Oh, we do have a pet health segment. So maybe I'll go over the recipe first and then we can... (laughs) And the show was Zoya's pet health segment. But, um, sounds good. I don't know if you guys have ever used tallow other than for cooking. Have you? Have you ever? Um, I think I've tried tallow soap before, but, uh, I didn't make it myself. So, well, uh, I tried uh, to put it on my skin mm-hmm. when it was melted, but it, it solidified and just looked like a white. <laughs> So I figured that probably wasn't a good thing to do, but I I don't know what the recipe is. (laughs) Oh, I had a friend actually make tallow candles once. He made candles out of Mm -hmm. uh, of tallow. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is um, the Weston Price Foundation, they have on their website just a wealth of information about animal fats. And I found um, a recipe for making your own skin lotion. And um, the funny thing is about two years ago, I was at a farmer's market and I bought some a product called Cave Woman Hand Balm. And it was all made with tallow. All that was in it was tallow and olive oil and essential oils. And I have really dry hands and I'm constantly applying, you know, some sort of hand cream and uh, chapstick too or, you know, lip stuff. And I bought this stuff and I just started putting it on my hands. I started putting it on my face and I started putting it on my lips. Now I'm a true believer. It really, huh. and it really was amazing. I mean, and you can eat it. It doesn't taste super good, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> but what I found interesting about it was that, um, when I started to look into it, there is no beauty products currently being made with animal. Fats. And I and I wonder mm-hmm. if that's part of the whole thing with, you know, going over into that oil industry and they decided that they had to stop using animal products. And maybe it's the whole vegan crazy thing yeah. as well that, um, you know, you can't you can't put urea in the product if it's from an animal. <laughs> um but on this Weston Price Foundation website, they talked about how tallow, um, you know, is basically exactly what the skin needs because it's saturated fat. And um, mm. 
your your skin is is basically like 50% saturated fat. I'm looking for the notes here on what it said cuz it had the actual breakdown. It was very technical and I was a little overwhelmed to be honest. <laughs> but um you know, you would think, well, if I put tallow on my skin, it's going to make my skin really oily, but it turns out that's not the case. And I'm just one example. There may be other people that have that problem. But um they were talking about how, um, you know, for those who may not know, tallow is just rendered fat from cows, sheep, and other ruminant animals such as deer. And it's very solid and waxy at room temperature. So probably why you had that experience, uh, Elliot. But you can <laughs> render it down and um, make it soft. And then when you render it down, you can add other types of oil to it. So say you have four parts or eight parts, excuse me, of rendered tallow, let's just say beef tallow. You can add one part of grapeseed oil or coconut oil or olive oil and mix it together and then add essential oils. And then um, you can put it in glass jars in the recipe, it recommends to put it in a refrigerator so it kind of hardens. And when it does harden and you open it, it's a little bit um, waxy. But once you start to rub it on your skin, it absorbs almost instantly. Awesome. So I was looking for my notes here on the, the technicals of the skin and saturated fat. but So basically it says that... Um, the cell membrane is made up of primary fatty acids, a double layer to be exact. And saturated fats constitute at least 50% of the cell membrane. Hmm. So saturated fats tend to be more solid than unsaturated fats, and they help give the cell membrane its necessary stiffness and integrity for proper functioning. Tallow fat is typically 50 to 55% saturated, just like our cell membranes. So it makes sense that it would be helpful for the skin and compatible with our cell biology. Mm. It also said that tallow's compatibility with our skin biology is its similarity to sebum, spelled S-E-B-U-M, mm. the oily, waxy matter that lubricates and waterproofs our skin. The word sebum actually means tallow in Latin and hmm. was uh, began to be used in this biological sense around the year 1700. The sebaceous glands, which secrete sebum, are found in greatest abundance on the face and scalp, but they're distributed all over our skin except for on the palms and the soles of the feet. Sebum is made up of lipid fats of which 41% are in the form of triglycerides, and 23 of those lipids of tallow are primarily in the form of triglycerides, which is how fatty mm. acids are usually configured in nature. So basically, it's compatible with your skin. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> and as a, That's really a, interesting. Sorry. Oh, I, Go ahead, Elliot. Sorry, I was just going to say, as a brief offshoot, um, I would much prefer to be putting saturated fats on my skin because I know that's going to be absorbed. Because polyunsaturated fats 
um, which are, I think, the majority of, of beauty products will use polyunsaturated fats and not saturated. Yeah. Well, polyunsaturated fats do massive amounts of damage to the cell membrane. Mm-hmm. Um, they're extremely mm-hmm. susceptible to oxidation. Um, and so I would much prefer to be putting some, you know, natural beef tallow onto my skin with the right consistency, of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah. um, but yeah, rather than putting some, some nasty toxic vegetable oils or whatever. Which like are in oil a or lot. Cotton. Yeah. Which are in a lot of yeah. those natural products. Palm yeah. oil. Mm. Well, one last little thing about tallow, too. It says it's abundant in natural fat-soluble activators, such as vitamin A, D, and K, as well as vitamin E, which are found only in animal fats and are necessary for general health and for skin health. And, of course, they recommend that if you are going to make tallow to use organic beef, because you don't want to get all those chemicals and toxic everything added in there yeah. as well. You know, when so, I was working at a health food store, um, there was a woman actually who kind of handmade her own uh, pain relief cream. And it was an old um, native recipe. Uh, and it was, the base of it was lard. And she would take lard and put, um, I think it was like birch, some kind of birch in with it. Um, and would just use it as a topical kind of pain relief cream. So like, you know, you have a sore back or something, you rub that on. If you have sore joints or something, you could, you could put that on. And then it actually never really sold that well. And she ended up coming out with a version that was a coconut oil version, which was of course not the native recipe at all because they didn't have coconuts, but, um, all of a sudden it started to sell. So there does really seem to be a big stigma against using animal fats, um, topically like or just having beauty products that have contain animal products is kind of like politically incorrect at this point and i also recall um natural uses for bacon um so (laughs) i guess it kind of links into what you're saying is that they used to lay strips of pork belly onto wounds or onto skin conditions um, and it was known as a natural therapeutic method you know um, and maybe that's got something to do with the fat seeping out of the meat and probably also some of the um, the constituents of the meat itself as well mm-hmm. well in this um, article about ancestral healing they talked about how tallow was used in the late 1800s as an immediate remedy for really intense ingrown toenails and uh, <laughs> to the point where the woman couldn't walk and had it for six or seven months and all they did was melt down a little bit of tallow and apply it to the infected area on the toenail and within three days it was completely healed without having to have wow. any sort of wow. invasive cutting or removing. Also, um, wow. diaper rash in babies. So That's mm. insane. So it does seem to have some super medicinal properties. I know for a lot of people, the smell can be a little off-putting. And so uh, hence trying uh, essential oil and really small amounts. So again, if you're using, say, eight tablespoons of tallow with one tablespoon of, you know, whatever type of oil you want, olive oil or grapeseed oil or even coconut oil, um, to go sparingly on the essential oils, I'd say, you know, experiment a little bit. 
Otherwise, it might be a little overwhelming and you may have excess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, should we head into our pet segment now that we've got, Sounds good. got it up here ready to go? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Today, I would like to share with you a recording by Dr. Karen Becker about shampoo for dogs, how often you should bathe your companions, and with what. And she also provides several examples of natural products that are available in the U.S. Here it is. Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker, and if you're a frequent visitor here at Mercola Healthy Pets, you've probably noticed that I'm a big fan of giving your dog a bath regularly. I believe you should bathe your dog as often as necessary to relieve itchy or inflamed skin, wash away dirt, allergens, pollutants, and pests, as well as manage bacteria and yeast overgrowth. Bathing also helps to get rid of dead skin cells and extra hair, and to keep your fuzzy family member comfortable and non-stinky. Some dogs rarely need baths. My Rottweiler, Isabel, was bathed on average yearly, usually after she found something really disgusting to roll in. However, on the other hand, some dogs, like my yeast-prone Boston Terrier, needs a bath pretty regularly. In fact, he gets a bath weekly if I want to manage his skin without using drugs or supplements. So it depends on the type of coat your dog has, where you live, what type of lifestyle you provide to your pet, his exposure to environmental toxins and chemicals, and whether your dog deals with reoccurrent outbreaks of infected, itchy, or irritated skin. Some dogs have very dry skin and are never exposed to yard chemicals and manage their own skin bacterial levels beautifully on their own. These dogs don't need to be bathed regularly. However, many dogs naturally have oily skin or they're prone to hot spots, yeast or staph infections. Uh, they have regular exposure to yard chemicals or their fuzzy bodies act um, to collect a tremendous number of allergens that can cause them to lick an itch. These dogs absolutely benefit from mechanical abrasion, as veterinarians say, which is the simple act of manually washing away irritants. Disinfecting the body is one of the most natural, economical, and common sense ways to keep your pet healthy, really from the outside in. You may have heard that bathing a dog is bad for him and that it strips away his natural oils. There was a time not so long ago that this was actually absolutely true. About 100 years ago, the only shampoos available for both people and pets were lye or coal tar-based shampoos, which were extremely drying and very caustic to the skin. For this reason, people washed their hair as infrequently as possible, and of course they, ex did, the, they did the same for their pets. Thank goodness, hair care products have evolved for people and pets, and just as there are safe alternatives so that people can regularly disinfect their hair, the same is true for pets. But it is important to pick your shampoo wisely. When I talk about bathing your pet, I always recommend using gentle, all-natural shampoos that are created specifically for dogs. I don't recommend using human shampoo because human shampoos are conditioned to have a pH that's conducive and balanced for humans, not for canines. Not only are natural shampoos better for your pet's skin and coat, they're also safer because obviously whatever you put on your pet is going to be absorbed into your pet. And so it's important that whatever gets inside uh, into the bloodstream and the tissues be non-toxic. Unfortunately, many popular shampoos for both humans and pets contain some potentially toxic ingredients, including pyrethrins, which, are in, which as a category are insecticides. 
D-transallothrin, which is a suspected endocrine system disruptor, as well as uh, resmethrin, which is classified as a potential carcinogen. Needless to know, all of these things you should avoid not only for dogs and cats, but for yourself as well. I also don't recommend oatmeal shampoos for pets, even though there are dozens on the market these days. Oatmeal is hailed as a soothing ingredient for human skin exposed to irritants, such as poison ivy or poison oak. Unfortunately, many animals have grain allergies, up to 80% of allergic dogs, in fact, and they're likely to have problems with shampoos that contain grains, including oatmeal. Grain-based shampoos can also feed yeast and bacterial conditions that are occurring on your pet's skin. In my experience, the only dogs that actually benefit from shampoos that contain oatmeal are those suffering from a reaction to poison oak or poison ivy, which are, of course, pretty rare. You might be wondering then what kind of dog shampoo I can recommend. And I'm very excited to announce that Marcola Healthy Pets is now offering not one, but two all-natural dog shampoos that I highly recommend. These shampoos are USDA certified organic. They contain no sulfates or harsh chemicals, and they're especially formulated to soothe, condition, and support your dog's healthy skin and coat. Our calming organic lavender shampoo is designed for dogs with sensitive skin. It contains soothing organic herbal extracts and rich moisturizers, including aloe vera and provitamin B5. This really gentle formula is perfect for puppies to geriatrics, and it's excellent for dogs that also um, have stressful experiences at bath time. Our invigorating organic peppermint shampoo is one of my favorites. Um, it has a refreshing smell and really has a really cooling sensation to your dog's skin that is both soothing and rejuvenating. I love this shampoo for pets that have dermatologic conditions. It's perfect for dogs prone to skin infections and hot spots, as well as dogs that are greasy, stinky, or yeasty. I use it on my pets, whether they have skin conditions or not, because it makes them smell really good and fresh. Both shampoos are eco-friendly, biodegradable, safe for outdoor use, and all of them are made in the USA. Each shampoo contains an incredible blend of organic herbals and moisturizers, including organic neem seed oil and organic neem leaf extract, organic apple juice, organic coconut oil, organic sunflower oil, organic sesame seed oil, organic jojoba seed oil, organic horsetail leaf extract, and organic aloe vera. We've also added in an organic peppermint conditioner to the lineup, which is especially suited for dogs with long hair or double coats and will be the perfect ending to bath time experience. And I love this particular conditioner because the organic shea butter and the organic olive oil leaves the coat in really amazing condition. As you can probably tell, I'm really excited about our new lineup of dog shampoos and the conditioner. They are all of the highest quality, all natural, totally safe to use as often as needed. That can be from once a week to once a year to keep up with your pet's skin uh, condition and to keep your pet's skin healthy. I think dog owners are really going to enjoy using these different products and seeing the difference they can make in the condition of their dog's coat and skin. Well, that was very informative. Thank you, Zoya. I didn't know that Thanks, you could Zoya. use conditioner on your dog. I've used uh, coconut oil, and the is it? Maybe you guys can help me. Is it the virgin cold pressed? Is the best type of coconut oil to use? I know there are products on the market that are not that good as far as coconut oil goes because it's become very popular. Mm. Yeah, I think you want a, a process that doesn't involve heat, mm -hmm. if you can, or or chemicals, of course. Um, 
but um you know i i don't i'm not fully informed on this but my understanding is that the term virgin for coconut oil actually doesn't mean anything <laughs> that it does mean something <laughs> for olive oil but not really for coconut oil mm. but um yeah i think uh, a cold pressing of some kind or um non-solvent extraction method That was very informative. Mm. So I would like to wrap up the show with you guys today and just let our listeners know if you are interested in doing some research about your beauty product regime, your personal care products, and you're looking for a good website to do some research on your own, what, whatever type of personal care product you may be using, having your regime the uh, Environmental Working Group, if you search for the Skin Deep database, you'll be able to find almost all products. I will say uh, in my research this week, there were several products that I could not find for some reason. Maybe they just did not have, have that information updated or whatnot. But for the most part, a lot of stuff is on there and it's interesting to go through and just see what is is out there on the market and you know i know from working in that industry that every week it seems there's some new um, anti-aging or some new skincare mm. product that you know people have to buy and the prices are exorbitant so you know do your research find out what you're using and share the information with others because a lot of people do not know that they're being kind of hoodwinked by this whole beauty care industry. Yeah. So if there's nothing else you guys would like to share, we're going to wrap up the show today. Please tune in to the show on Sunday. And we will be back next week with another healthy topic. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.